It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. We do have a couple of updates for iOS and for Macintosh. He'll be talking about those. They just came in over the wire. But we will also give you a chance to ask your questions. Eight questions, eight answers. We haven't done it in a while. Steve Gibson and Security Now are up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 452, recorded April 22nd, 2014. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 186. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to proxpn.com slash twit and use the code SN20. And by ShareFile. Enhance your workflow. Send files of almost any size easily and securely with ShareFile from Citrix. Try ShareFile today. For a 30-day free trial, go to sharefile.com, click the microphone, and enter security now. It's time for security now. The show that covers you and your Security Online protects you and your loved ones. Here he is, the security explainer-in-chief himself, Mr. Stephen Gibson. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be with you again. So we've done, um, what, two podcasts largely nominally about Heartbleed. Yeah. Uh, we've got some interesting questions about that and some other stuff. And But we're going to do a Q&A. We're going to get to some questions because... Uh, there have been a lot of them and a lot of the sort of similar topics. So I, as I always do, I chose some that were representative. Uh, and we're also going to talk about uh, briefly Ladar Levison's uh, appeal ruling, unfortunately. Uh, the fact that that backdoor, the, 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 you know, the blue box router, consumer router backdoor that we talked about around Christmas came back to bite us for Easter uh, that the back door was not as tightly closed as we had hoped and assumed. Mm. Uh, there was an interesting piece about Google working to bring PGP-style end-to-end encryption to the masses, and I wanted to take a moment to explain why that's entirely possible, if, if for the same reason that it's possible for LastPass to be secure if Google chooses to do it. Oh, I hope they do. Um, they won't, of course, and we know, we know why, but... Exactly, because yeah. they want to look at your email. And Encrypted, so they can't that's read pro- it. That's a problem. <laughs> um, and then also, um, I want to talk about how the BSD project just forked the OpenSSL project and some of the early results from that. And also, I just wanted to mention in the Q&A, I wanted to, we'll finally follow up on the issue of jailbreaking iOS, because that was the the last little thing that even with three podcasts devoted to iOS security, I kept promising we were going to get to, and then events overcame us. So uh, many people have continued to ask, hey, Steve, uh, you know, what was that about? You know, tell us about that. So, yes, <laughs> we do that this week. So we got a great podcast. Lots and, oh, baby, I can't even tell you about next week's podcast. It is going to... It is going to be oh so good. Wait a minute. Now don't just tease us like that. That's the it's the revocation podcast. Oh. And uh if there there's a page which I tweeted which um basically it 
it is in a single page and it's not small, but because it's thorough. But if anyone wants to understand it, um, it's now online. And to, next week's podcast will be about that and additional things like Adam Langley's unfortunate uh, Imperial Violet blog post of Saturday where he said, oh. no, don't enable revocation. Oh, I really wanted to ask you about that. But yes, that's for next week. Yes, so that's next week. I've got I've I've You're got a dialogue with, for a week. with him and uh, and another great security guy in the Chromium Project, Ryan, and a, a ton of interesting news. And one thing that would be interesting would be for our listeners who are Firefox users to to enable revocation checking and the must check the second option. I did talk about it briefly last week. That is that essentially puts Firefox into what's known as a hard fail mode, yeah. where if it cannot affirmatively verify that the certificate is still good, it won't display the page. Well, you know, and the argument is, oh, you know, it won't work. It'll it'll break you. Nothing happened. You know, I mean, it's a disaster and a catastrophe. Well, I've always had it on, and I've never had a problem. So it'd be interesting to get a larger experience base. From that, I mean, it is true. There are absolute known problems with that. If you're like, you know, behind a so-called captive portal where like you're in a hotel and they make you, you know, agree to their terms of service. And if that connection is secure and their own portal is blocking your browser from verifying the security of the certificate they're giving you, then you're in a catch-22. And so it's certainly the case that this can fail. But, you know, if so you turn that check mark off, agree to the terms of service and turn it back on if you want the best security available. So anyway, you know, pre- prepare for next week because it's going to be a doozy and, and I think really, really good. Basically, I've in the last week since we talked about this, I, I've spent, unfortunately, not working on Squirrel because I believe this is important. And my goal is to raise awareness because I've, I've read in internet engineers saying, well, nobody really cares about it. But the reaction to my revoked.grc.com page was turmoil because people assumed it was working. And so it's not that people don't care. It's that they don't know. Right. And so, you know, after next week, everyone's going to know. I'll give you another data point and then we'll move on. Uh, yeah. Remember, we were talking about the idea that you can uh, force uh, a certificate uh, checking on uh, OS 10, but you have to do it in the Keychain Access app. And, right. and I noted that it, they really prev- try to prevent you because they they gray it out. This what they you know this is the OSCP and CRL, the two different databases of re- right. revoked certificates. And the default is best attempt, but but if you hold the option key down, you can say require for all certificates on both of these. This fundamentally breaks OS 10. The reason yes. it's grayed out is you basically you can't use anything. You can't the, yes, and, the app updates stop working, the store stops working. So yes, I put um, it back to best attempt because as much um, as I'd like and, it to do this, it doesn't work. Yeah, and and the Chromium guys understand that. One of the reasons well, anyway, so I, I don't want to preempt next week, no, but no. Yeah. but but those terms, basically what we're gonna do is we are gonna walk through the two decades of history. From what is a CRL, mm-hmm. 
what happened with it, what were the problems, then the development of, of OCSP, the Online Certificate Status Protocol, what has happened with it, what's been going on since, and what is the solution? Because unfortunately, Google is wrong about their position. Okay. I understand their stance, right. but I'll substantiate this. Next so, week. Going to be a good one. Next week. Not now. <laughs> <laughs> In the meet, well, because we just have, you know, we got so much only, other so, many yeah. only so many hours we can spend. Yeah. No, don't say that because then I'm going to get all the emails from people saying, can you give Steve 18 hours a week because I think he really, uh, and we, you know what, if you want to do a second show, you know who I, to call. I appreciate that, but, you know, I've got to, <laughs> see, at the same time, everyone's saying, well, where's Squirrel? Where's Spinrite 6-1? I know, you got you other know, things to you do. Know, what about that longest repeated string thing? Where that it's like, oh my God, there's just it's just me. So one thing, yeah. just one more thing on Heartbleed <laughs> from the fixer would would Squirrel have been susceptible to Heartbleed? That's question number. We'll two get to it coming up. Q and A. All right, <laughs> our show today. All right, good. That's a good tease. Our show today brought to you by a company that's doing its best to protect you online, and it's called ProXPN. Open VPN server, hosted server, that means that when you're on an open access point or anywhere, you can surf securely. Uh, the way Open VPN works, Steve's talked about it. You can listen to his Open VPN show, which we did years ago, and it's all still true. Is it scramble? It protects. It encrypts your traffic from your computer uh, to the Open VPN server. Now, in some cases, uh, you'll be using a VPN. To connect to work. That's where most people first experienced virtual private networks. Uh, you can be on the corporate network from your home, but of course they've got to protect that because that's valuable corporate information floating over the public internet. So they build an encrypted tunnel around you using VPN, open VPN. That's exactly how it works. Um, now you can, some people have their own open VPN server. This is non-trivial. Uh, and it doesn't solve a fundamental problem if you're worried about your ISP spying on you. Well, this isn't gonna, having your own server is not going to do any good. You, what you really want is a, is, a, is a hosted VPN somewhere out there. And if you want to bypass geographic restrictions, the somewhere out there should be somewhere other than the U.S. That's what ProXPN does. I want you to check it out. ProXPN.com slash twit. They run servers in Dallas and Seattle and Los Angeles and New York, but also London Amsterdam and Singapore. That means your traffic can emerge on the public internet from any of those locations. You decide. Your traffic from your computer to their servers is encrypted in a 512-bit tunnel using a 2048-bit encryption key. They support PPTP on devices that don't do OpenVPN, but thank goodness they've got these great mobile apps. Their Android app really is, is the first one I've seen that allows you to use OpenVPN on an Android device. The apps are free, proxpn.com. If you want to know more, proxpn.com slash twit. And if you don't mind, I'd, I'd really like to invite you to try it uh, and save some money while you're doing it. If you use our offer code SN20, you'll get 20% off ProXPN service, not for the first month or year, but for the life of your account. That's, that's, that's for a long time. Pro XPM premium accounts are usually ten dollars a month, seventy five bucks a year with this discount, less than five bucks a month on the yearly plan. That is a great deal. Try it today. They've got apps for uh, Windows and Mac, which offer you advanced controls. You can select ports, connect at startup. That's kind of nice. Just put it on your laptop; it just connects automatically. You can even select which programs should be shut down if that anonymous connection is ever interrupted. 
Hey, if I'm not anonymous, don't use Gmail, whatever you do. Things like that. ProXPN.com, world-class customer support, too. I, I got I to tell you, this is the greatest way to do it. Not only uh, do they accept Visa and PayPal, they accept Bitcoin, and then you're really anonymous. ProXPN.com slash twit. You could try it, uh, the premium account, for seven days. Cancel in the first seven days. Get your money back. Uh, and if you use the offer code SN20, it's very, very affordable. We love it. ProXPN.com slash twit. Steve recommended. Doctor approved. <laughs> I don't know if your doctor knows about it. Uh, all right, Steve. Let's uh, let's get to the. If, if, if he has your medical records, then we do hope he knows about he it. He ought to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's so, get to the okay. news. So the bad news is, my reading of this sort of between the lines is that Ladar could have used a better attorney because the the he saw this the, coming though. By the way, when we interviewed him, he was very okay. afraid of this. Yeah. Um, so he did lose uh, on appeal the contempt of court charge, which uh, was was filed against him uh, or brought against him um, after, you know, I, which essentially was the the FBI's reaction to his printing out his SSL key on paper, uh, you know, in what was it, five point type or something i it's like 11 pages of you know gibberish and made it you know so he, he technically complied with their order to turn over the keys but didn't make it easy for them and um so uh, uh seth rosenblatt who reported for cnet sort of summed it up nicely he said the appellate court didn't comment on the substantive issue in the case whether the government had the right to demand the encryption keys that would allow them to observe all traffic of a targeted email account. Instead, the appeals court ruled that the Internet privacy issues raised in Levinson's appeal were not clearly articulated while he was defending himself in district court. Um, the, the appeals court said Levinson should have brought forward his claim that the government was exceeding its authority um, under U.S. pen register and trap and trace statutes before being charged with contempt of court by the by the district judge last summer. So, and you know, pen register is like one direction. That's phone records, that, that, that's phone numbers uh, that call, and it, you know, call into you and tap and trace is the reverse. It's records of phone numbers that are called by you. And, um, uh, anyway, so in in the in the judgment, uh, uh, Judge uh, Stephen Agee wrote uh, there was a three judge appellate panel, and he said Levison's statement to the district court simply reflected his personal angst over complying with the pen and trap order, not his present appellate argument that questions whether the district court uh, possessed the authority to act at all. So. You know, I mean, th this is complex stuff, and you really need to have an on-the-ball attorney. And to me, this sort of feels like, like you know, this wasn't argued correctly. But, you know, I did l really like uh, Ladar was quoted saying, freedom is the ability to do something that somebody else disagrees with, to make a choice that somebody else wouldn't make. The problem with disrupting our right to privacy is that at the same time we do that, 
we disrupt our right to free speech. And without the ability to speak freely, a democracy is no longer a democracy. Mm, love it. So, yeah. Love it. By the way, Lindar, so anyway. um uh, did a great interview with us on triangulation, our uh, our kind of you know big thinkers interview show, which Steve has appeared to on you know several many many times. But uh, triangulation one two five, if you want to hear his conversation, and he did talk a little bit about his concerns about how this would go in court. Now, he does have a a lot of legal help, I believe, but uh, maybe not the right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, um, twit.tv slash tri one two five, if you want to see it. Good. Um, yeah, the, uh, an ACLU attorney, uh, Brian House, uh, uh, they filed, the ACLU filed an amicus brief on behalf of Ladar, like, you know, putting their two cents worth in is, is the way that works. Um, and Brian said the court focused its decision on procedural aspects of the case unrelated to the merits of Lavabit's claims. On the merits, we believe it's clear that there are limits on the government's power to coerce innocent service providers into its surveillance, uh, its, the government's surveillance activities. The government exceeded those limits when it asked Lavabit to blow up its business and undermine the encryption technology that ensures our collective cybersecurity to get information for, for the purpose of getting information that Lavabit itself offered to provide. And, and remember, you know, Ladar had complied, complied with several yeah. more, more, more limited, reasonable requests for you know specific individual um, access. And what they were saying was, no, we want your master you want keys. You know, your master site keys. Yeah. It's like it's like, oh my goodness! Yeah. I mean, he he reacted the way any responsible person would. It's like, no, that's that you you can't have that. You don't need that. Right, because that but would they just allow the uh, government to spy on every bit of mail coming and going into his service. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's it. I mean, I would say no too. I yeah. and I, I would do what I had to do. You simply can't, that that's just unreasonable. Yeah, it, it's unnecessary. You know, I mean, it really is. You, you you're making an assertion, in an implicit assertion, which you can no longer honor. If if that's the case, and then what are they going to say? Oh, thanks for the keys. Now you can't change yours. Right. You know, it's it's like right. <sighs> Basically, they're they're making him spy for them. You know, they're they're forcing him. It's it's, wor- it's, it's worse than that. It's appalling. Yeah, because he because making him lie if, if for they them. Were ma- if they were making him spy, he would at least know what he was doing. Right. They they have they have taken they have they have subverted the privacy of everyone who uses his server. Horrible. And horrible. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I can I just, only hope that this will be further appealed. He has a legal defense fund at lavabit.com. I encourage everybody to donate. I'll is it still want. there or is it well, dark mail? Last time is, I went, yeah, maybe it's dark mail now because last time I went to Lavabit, something else happened. Yeah, and there, I think his security certificate has been revoked. No, he, yeah, for, yeah, no, but he did that. No, he revoked it. Um, right, because because it had been – he had lost control of it yeah. because no, the FBI there's links uh, – uh, to his Lava Bet Legal Defense Fund right there. And he even has a Bitcoin link. Maybe I'll just give him some Bitcoin. Um, but that's at lavabits.com. Okay, so it must be that you can't go secure? Can can you go yeah, No, no, and he did that on purpose, remember, so that you'd get yep. this warning. And he, yes. I think he even has, let's see. And and presumably if you were using Lava Bit as I was, yeah, cannot connect to the real Lava Bit. 
Yeah, boy, am I familiar with what that looks like. We've now. seen those a lot, haven't we, lately? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least that good. works. <laughs> good, good, good for him. Well, I, I really, I tip my hat. Yeah, he's just done. He's a freedom you know, fighter. I mean, he, he is a freedom he, yes. fighter. He was part. He was a very has been and continues to be a very important part of this conversation, which I argue we have to be having. This is a good conversation. I mean, just for the sake of asking these questions. And you may and, you and may looking, excoriate uh, you know Edward Snowden as a traitor, and there are those who do that, but there is no one who can say anything negative about what Levinson did. He acted with absolute integrity, and he is fighting for freedom. I mean, there's just no question in my mind. Well, and it's not even clear that there was anything there. It's not like there was a huge pot of gold that he was hiding. Oh, he's you just know, doing the right all that thing. happened was that Snowden referred to it once right. as like a, a secure email provider, which, you know, I argue is an oxymoron at this point. Um, and and you know, maybe had an account, but it's like they could have just said, "Give us that account," and he would have said, "Okay." Anyway, yeah. Well, and, you know, we've seen instances where the FBI seems, I think it's just, these are very technical issues. And someone probably said to someone else, go get his keys. And that's what someone did. We've seen instances, remember, where like whole servers were like, take when we're like ripped out of yeah. racks and removed, even though they hosted hundreds of other people's yeah. domains. And it was it's just like, you know, it's a bit of a blunt instrument in I, some cases. I do refer so. you to the interview because he talks about that as well. And some of the uh, people who, uh, you know, the agents that he spoke to were clearly clueless. Some were not. Some knew exactly right. what they were doing. Um, and he's of the opinion they knew exactly what they were asking for. So, so hmm. around Christmas time, we covered the story uh, that was broken by Eloy Vanderbecken of, of uh, Synactive. That's his his company. Uh, he was the guy who discovered that port three two seven six four that was open in at least twenty four. We know of twenty four models of routers by Netgear, Cisco, Linksys, like Cisco brand, and then the Linksys Cisco, or yeah, the Linksys Cisco, and also Diamond routers. And remember that three two seven six four is an interesting number because exactly half of 64K is, you know, which is really 65536, half of that is 32768. So this is, you know, four ports down from the middle of the theoretical port range. Um, And what we discovered, and we covered it at length around around Christmas, was that there was a server open listening for incoming TCP connections such that anyone who found a router with this open could could give it this amazing collection of commands like dump your firmware dump you know like all of your settings dump your admin password you, you know your admin username and password it's like is it like the keys to the kingdom just sitting there wow and so, of course, that caused a big brouhaha. And in January, patches were available to close that. Well, uh, Eloy, I don't remember now the story exactly, but he was, I don't remember now, I'm, I'm confusing whether it was at Christmas or just at Easter. That I think it was at Christmas where he was at his relative's house and he discovered this in their router. Anyway, 
for whatever reason, he recently took a look at the firmware. And one of the, one of the I mean, the, the arguably best thing about open source software, and I got a bunch of flack for my recent position on open source. People, people who are in the religion uh, believe that I wasn't sufficiently devout. <laughs> uh, and, and, but, you know, I, I, I anyway, <laughs> that's another topic. But one of the best things about it is when you th- suspect a problem, it is available to go check. And which is, you know, so there's an, an, a benefit I would never argue with. Like, for example, that's exactly what Heartbleed gave us was the guys discovered the problem. Then they looked in the source code, which was available and said, and completely understood the nature and the, and the reach and the extent. No reverse engineering was necessary. So that's very powerful. But we also know that the fact that it's open doesn't automatically make it secure. This, this, the, the same event teaches us that. But in this case, what's cool about the, the routers, and I originally said this four months ago, is that there's now mature tools for reverse engineering the firmware the typical manufacturer sourced firmware is not open source. It's magic. Um, you know, it's not DDWRT, which is a, you know, a beautiful open source alternative, which at this point, especially after you hear this story, everyone should be installing because, you know, we know if, if even if it isn't perfect, it was written by people who had, who had pure intent, which is what I believe is behind TrueCrypt and OpenSSL. I mean, you know, these are, these are well-meaning people. The problem is what what it appeared to be four months ago is that, you know, the manufacturer deliberately put this backdoor in routers. Okay, a month later in January, that's closed. That no longer works. Eloy sucks out the firmware of an updated router, uses these very nice mature reverse engineering tools and takes a close look at it. And what he discovers is the back door is still there. Um, Taking a close look at it, he finds that there's a server running not for TCP, but for Ethernet. So what happens is when the router is booted, a raw socket is opened on the same port, on 32764. It's not, however, bound to TCP. It's just raw, meaning that, you know, it's just going to give you, it's going to give the the listening service whatever comes in. But it's, um, and, and, and the, okay, and, and this is, kind of confusing because I just said it wasn't bound to TCP, but I referred to a TCP port. So so what it's doing is it's looking for e- raw Ethernet packets with a an Ether type of hex 8888. Now, the Ether type is a 2-byte, a 16-bit um, piece of information in the in every Ethernet packet header. 
And remember that, like in our local area networks, we've covered all this in years past, all of this fundamental technology. So anybody who's interested, who hasn't been listening from day one, this may spur your curiosity. It's We've got podcasts completely explaining all this. So the idea is that a TCP packet is is can a TCP cannot move over Ethernet without sort of a an envelope without a carrier. So Ethernet is the carrier, and so inside the the Ethernet packet will be uh, like an IP packet, and then inside the IP packet will be which type of IP packet, and it's TCP. So it's sort of this you know the Russian dolls that sort of you know. Um, stacked wrappers or or, or in, in enclosed wrappers. So 8888 is unused. And for example, 0800, that says, if that ether type, 0800, says it's an IPv4 packet like we have out on the internet. Um, and for example, 0806 is ARP, the address resolution protocol. So that gives you some sense so, so, so that the... The, the ether type determines what's inside. So what's, what we have now in these routers, and maybe even more of them, we really don't know, is an ethernet backdoor that listens for a unique and not otherwise in use ether type, not IP, not ARP, it's its own thing. And, and, if the payload in if, if, if such a packet arrives at the router and the payload contains the md5 which is a hash you know message digest 5 uh, it's pretty much retired because it's had security problems but it's useful for this it's sort of a key the md5 hash of the router's commercial model number that's the magic cookie that the packet contains, and if it's a packet type of 201, which is just another header, then the system launches the original TCP listening backdoor with, that has even been enhanced with some additional commands since then. There's some stuff that to flash the router lights. So what does this mean? First of all, I, if you had such a router, Leo, I could not send. I could not send that packet to you because Ethernet doesn't cross the internet. It's not routable, I, they say. Correct. It's yeah. not routable. Um, the The idea is Ethernet is used within a LAN. To, and it encapsulates the, uh, the IP data, but out on the internet, it's IP traffic, which is, you know, is going from routers. Although the routers are typically linked with some encapsulation protocol, like it might be Ethernet, and, and it often is. But the point is, the Ethernet gets stripped off, then the, and then the IP packet is carried into the router, it routes around, and then a new Ethernet packet, a new Ethernet wrapper is put on if it's going to then transit across an Ethernet link. So we call the WAN side 
of our routers, you know, the Ethernet, the wide area network. But actually, I mean, and it is that from our perspective, but from the perspective on the other side of the router, it's the ISP's LAN. So what this does is it gives it, it nicely constrains the attack surface or the attack neighborhood from being anyone on the internet to being anyone on the ISP's LAN, which is still not no one, um, and you still don't want this. But it does mean that it's not possible to, you know, scan, to, to scan the internet. That's how we know, for example, that there were 6,000 routers that had this problem. If someone scanned for port 32764 and 6,000 routers said, yeah, I, I like connections on that port. Well, <laughs> After yeah, come after, on in. Come on, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. What command? What do you want? Please? Yeah, I got a whole list of commands. Oh, I'm Lord. happy to respond to. So that for for those routers that were updated, that got closed. But what we now know, there's no question now that this wasn't left over. I mean, the, the, even though someone deliberately designed this. It could have been argued that they forgot about it and left it in. It was a very test mode like, or developer well, mode or something. Very much like the window, the famous Windows Metafile mess that I got myself involved in. Because looking at it, it was clear to me somebody put this in there on purpose. Right. That's all I ever said. Not that it was Malicious. nefarious. Yeah. It's just that it was there. Yeah. You know, and even Mark Rasunovich agreed with me. He looked at the code and he said, yes. This looks purposeful. Some things are mistakes. So, Some things are actually purposeful. Well, and also, Leo, you know, as the point I made was back in the beginning, I mean, Windows Metafile, that's an ancient, right. an ancient format. And that was before anyone even thought about security. I mean, it wasn't even an itch in Microsoft. So they thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could put code in a Metafile? Right. Now the idea would just, I mean, it just makes you shudder. To right. think of putting code in a deliberately put code in an image format, but once upon a time that seemed like a cool hack. Anyway, so the point is that we didn't know for sure that this just didn't happen to get left in by mistake. Now there's no question. This really? is de an undocumented, deliberate, um, administrative backdoor into routers, That's such terrible. that. I know, such that the ISP, with, with no knowledge of their users, can send any router, any customer router on their network, that Ethernet packet, and that, active, that causes the system to start up the, the, that, the, the sysconfig manager. It's SCFGMGR. It starts it with the dash F flag, which causes it to then bind... TCP protocol to that port, then the ISP. Essentially, that so so this is like a knock. We 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 you know we've talked about port knocking. This is a type of a knock packet where the door is closed until you send a special packet, like knocking on the door, and this opens the door. So so this isn't so, a deliberate backdoor. Yes, we now know without question this is a deliberate backdoor that has been that because the we, people found the previous backdoor 
And arguably, that was really bad. That was internet-wide backdoor. This is not good because it's not clear to me that other that other customers on the same LAN could not arrange to attack the other customers on that network. That is, I mean, r- routing is complicated, and there there could be you know VLANs and, and other t- sorts of barriers to divide an ISP up, but. What we know is that this thing was discovered. It wasn't removed. They just they increased the security so that the you have to knock on the router first with a packet that cannot come from anywhere on the internet. It has to come from somewhere on the ISP's LAN, which is what we see as the WAN. But if it has it to does, come from the gateway router, or um. Uh, no, it actually had because that would be a gateway router is still an IP router. It's got to come from oh, like Ethernet, their yeah, a, an yeah. Ethernet switch, yeah. you know, like an Ethernet switch or or an Ethernet injection. Um, so would this dr- work and, with DSL? Uh, DSL, or would you have to be on a cable? I mean, this seems like an odd. No, I mean I can setting. see that some, somebody. Somebody must want this. Yeah. Somebody said, you know, like this was You're a thinking feature. ISP wanted this. Uh, yeah, yes. it, because it's only it's only useful for an ISP. So this allows an ISP to, I mean, benignly to like help you to yeah. do, do text yeah, support. Yeah, I mean, right. Like the new things, then the, the new commands flash the lights. And so the ISP can't see if the lights are flashing. So, so the idea is you you get on tech support with your ISP, and he says, oh, and they're trying to diagnose why you don't right. have connectivity. Do you see the lights so flashing? He, yes. yes. Do, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I can't resist. <laughs> but no, I actually yeah. had that happen. Exact thing happened. Uh, yes. From, We're going to yeah. make the lights flash. But you know, the, do you why, see why is flash? this a vulnerability so you, then if it's, if it's not over TCP IP? It's really only um, a vulnerability to your ISP, right? It is well, I it's it's a limited it vulnerability. Not, yes, and I wanted to make that clear. I wanted to explain the nature of this is it is only somebody on their network, but it very it's very likely Leo that my neighbor could do the same thing. Ah, cuz he is on your network. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's on the same WAN segment right. as I sense. as I am. See, yes. now I think that's not a DSL thing. I think that has. To, it sounds to me it's a cable modem, but I don't know. Depends upon. It depends upon what happens at the DSL head end and the way the networking is. And you're right. I I couldn't answer that definitively either. Yeah. I'm sure there are people who who do know. It strikes me but, that this is a this is a cable thing. Um. No. So, well, c- cable is cable is I, definitely Ethernet. Yeah, and so I, I, I see on my cable, so, I, I see on my segment, other people on my segment. I know that. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and so so the takeaway here is there's never been a better time to switch to Tomato or DDWRT. Yeah. Switch to one of the firmware packages that your router supports that 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 enthusiasts have developed. For themselves and to share with everyone else. Perfect example of valuable open source where, you know, if we, even if we're not sure exactly what it is, it sure beats this thing. But I guess uh, we should also say that most router ma- routers are not compatible with these third-party 
unfortunately, with these third-party yes. uh, ROMs. So you got to check, make sure yours is. And, uh, you know, DDWRT, I found out, uh, is on uh, Asus routers. They actually not only are compatible, but some of them actually run DDWRT. And I wish more companies would do this. Why you are you, you doing they, so? They, they run they it ship. out of the box. Uh, nice. Let other folks, let other people do this because uh, yeah. you know, why are you developing of, software? You know, stop it. One, one of the reasons is they're trying to have extra check boxes on yeah, their feature list yeah. and, you know, fancy features yeah. and, oh, we're going to check for firmware in the background yeah. and update yeah. and blah, so blah, forth. Blah, and so, blah. you know, they're trying to differentiate themselves. Mm-hmm. And we just want it to be a reliable piece of blue plastic. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this case. So, <laughs> VentureBeat. Uh Cover, they broke the story, as far as I could see, that Google is researching ways to make encryption easier to use in email. And what they're specifically, Google is, a, is apparently exploring bringing PGP to Gmail. And, and I'm excited because within the, within the Gmail ecosystem... This is entirely possible um, in this, because now we have clients that are able to run crypto code. That's what LastPass does in order to turn all of our passwords into a into pseudo-random noise blob that we're able to send to LastPass and they keep for us and they give us the you know cloud cross-device linking through that and the ability, you know, they're also cloud backup in case we, we our, our machine craps out on us and we get, we set up a new machine and we're able to get all of our passwords back. Um, nothing at all from a technology standpoint is preventing Google from, from adding true end-to-end encryption to Gmail. A user could have their client, their browser, gen, you know, use the, the platform's Random number generator, which is hopefully good. Also, maybe get some from Google and and other places. You know, put a whole pile of randomness together. You know, harvest entropy to create a key which Google never knows about. In the same in the same way we do with LastPass, and that is their PGP key, and that is it is encrypted to you know, and stored with Google. But Google never has the decryption key because it's, you know, it's based on things local to the server. And then and then all users of Gmail could just sort of have this happen. I mean, it, would, it could be completely transparent, in fact. It's probably, you know, they'll roll it out slowly. It'll be a checkbox you turn on and, and so forth. And it's, of course, a problem when your email leaves the confines of Gmail because... If it continues to be PGP encrypted, then we're back to the to the same problem. But for for Gmail users, first of all, they could receive PGP email. I mean, for example, the the classic problem that that Snowden had um, with uh, I'm blanking on the reporter's name, Glenn uh, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, Greenwald yeah. where Glenn you know was like kept resisting installing pgp which is the only way that snowden was willing to communicate that would that could all go away so so to me this is exciting i mean this this 
offers us and within the Gmail ecosystem, transparent user to user, true end to end encryption um, where Google is not holding the keys. So it's, you know, it's not it, it's not doesn't have the vulnerability, for example, that iMessage does where Apple is our 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 key holder um, and it would allow users who wanted to generate PGP security to do so painlessly in Gmail without learning or knowing anything and then emitting their email to somebody who's, you know, a security guy outside of Gmail who could then receive a, that, it, that standardized envelope, PGP envelope, and access it. Or similarly, in the Glenn Greenwald model, to receive a PGP encrypted email from someone who had encrypted it for them. So this is neat. Now, of course, VentureBeat ended their story saying, unfortunately, don't expect Google to set up site-wide end-to-end encryption. However, for Google to monetize Gmail, it must be able to scan messages in order to serve targeted web or targeting ads to users. It's an advertising business, writes VentureBeat, after all. So, you know, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I mean it's really an Google, interesting gut check for Google. What's what's more yeah. important to you, revenue, ad revenue, or supporting uh, PGP? You know, we had Vince Cerf yeah. on again yesterday, and and he re- reiterated that the only change he'd make maybe in his uh, invention of TCP IP is at the time that they did this in the early 70s, uh, Public key crypto wasn't was known in, in the uh, among the spy industry and was known privately, but was not publicly known. And if you had had they known about public key crypto and had they had access to things like RSA, uh, they would have used it. They were using DES with symmetric encryption, which was we now know is not enough. Um, and he said we would have put in we would have put in strong encryption in TCP. We would have made that a possible yeah possibility. And he works at Google now, and I'm sure he's lobbying. To do this, what about Hushmail? That is a PGP service. It's an e- it's a it's a web mail using PGP. Do you know about Hushmail? I haven't looked at it. I know yeah. of it certainly. So, and the way Hushmail works is you pay for it. It's fifty bucks a year, right? And it's strong encryption. It's PGP. Could you do you ever see Google going for any sort of a pay for model? They'd have to because obviously they're not going to monetize. I think this is a this would be a way for Google which makes plenty of money, to win some goodwill. Yeah. To say, you know, you can check a box here that turns on PGP. We encourage yeah. you to do so even though we won't monetize. Maybe what you say is, and, you know, we'll charge you five bucks a year for that. And, and I mean, there, it's not like it can be transparent because if you turn that on and then you send that email to your mom – you know, she she's to, Glenn. She's Glenn Greenwald all over again. Well, that's it's the like, problem. Is, uh, is honey, I just got a large blob yeah, of of yeah. you know noise. What is what, what is this? It's like, oh, sorry, mom, I forgot to turn that off for you. Phil Zimmerman so, uh, I mean, started his Hushmail, the creator of PGP. Oh yeah, in fact, I got a great quote from him later on about the um, Open SSL uh, stuff. And I think that's oh, what fact, that's Ladar right. and Phil are trying to do with uh, Darkmail. So yes, you know, maybe it is. It is a hard problem because you know we're trying to add this afterwards, and you've got the problem of people who you know aren't aren't uh, up to crypto. Yeah. 
Uh, I've used Hushmail. I have a Hushmail account. I like Hushmail, but um, uh, you know, it's not easy because you, you know, it's you, if you want point end to end encryption, you got to get to the other person to use Hushmail. It's got to be both ends yep. by definition. Yep. Yeah, and about Gmail is because it is Gmail. I mean, it's not like it's some some small, you know, also ran email provider. It, and it's Google. It's like, oh my goodness, if yeah. they were to do end-to-end -end encryption, yeah. it would change the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Everybody would use it. So maybe this is a, a way Google could, uh, you know, kind of get some goodwill and well, give up and a little revenue. And also, it, it could be way far from deployment. It could be that VentureBeat picked up yeah, on an internal... I mean, Google yeah. has running many internal projects. Right. Some, and, and and I know you and Gina have talked about it, they'd kill after a while because right. they never get off the ground and go, oh, well, you know, we were just, yeah. just checking that out. Tons of that. Yeah. So, uh, also in the news is the fact, or the news, <laughs> that open the OpenBSD project has forked the OpenSSL project <laughs> to and be careful how you pronounce that word forked uh open ssl to create libre ssl oh, how funny uh-huh oh how funny because you know the same thing happened with open office and libre office yes libre exactly. me means and, you know as libre is the uh, open source the word for open source in most countries not the so US. you if you go click that that link that that libre ssl.org link leo because their site is a little bit is a is a kick uh oh and here we have the uh the trash being taken out you want you want to take a break <laughs> i guess so <laughs> uh it isn't much of a uh, website in fact it looks like it's a heavy reliance on comic sans doesn't really give you some confidence here is this a joke this must be no no that's fools. no it says, at the moment, we're too busy deleting and rewriting code to make a decent web page. No, we don't want help making web pages. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, okay, so also the other one is the opensslrampage.org. That second link there is, uh, is, is and this is the OpenSSL, OpenSSL Valhalla Rampage. <laughs> Uh, and they're and they're calling it the purge, <laughs> and they're using the Heartbleed logo. I note on the page, it's a tumble. Oh yeah. Uh, so okay, so what is this about? This is, I mean, this in all seriousness, this is interesting, but it does terrify me um, because it, you know, despite all of its warts, OpenSSL is amazing. For what it for all that it contains, yeah, and those little posts there, Leo, are fabulous. Yeah. For all that it contains, um, and it's time tested. Yes, we just all went through a huge upheaval because you know one line of code was left out to check the bounds on a buffer, but that's a mistake, and that can happen. So here's what the Open SSL guys are doing. Um, they are. They've looked at open. I mean, sorry, the Open BSD guys, ha having split off the you know forked the Open SSL project, um, they are now going through and literally you know as I said they call it the purge, hacking and hewing. As of I mean, like almost immediately, ninety thousand lines of C code have been removed, reducing 
the overall line count by 150,000 lines because they've also done some reformatting of, of of where the curly braces are, as we were talking about, you know, C formatting. Um, their point is that there is so much stuff that that is just not needed in OpenSSL. So, for example, OpenSSL supports, of all things, VMS, which is the old deck operating system, oh, yeah. which is oh, yeah. now owned by HP. And I, I thought, it does? So, cause, And I, I went over and looked at HP, and there they're talking about, oh, yeah, how VMS has OpenSSL, and it's got 0.9.8 something or other. I mean, it's one that was, like, you know, current. And so that's something that, you know, that apparently VMS is still in use, and OpenSSL is the way they get their security. So, so these guys are saying 99.99% of the community does not care about OpenSSL's support for VMS. And it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> 98%, they say, do not care about Windows. What they care about is POSIX support so that it can be used with Unix and Unix derivatives. You know, all of the, the star.nix machines. Um, they don't care about FIPS compliance because, of course, that's a mixed blessing, <laughs> as we know. Um, um, and so these guys are saying, even with all of that, the code base is, is all, I mean, this has been done already in Libre SSL, and the code base is still API compatible. Um, Unless you're VMS or, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, absolutely. So, so. Like Windows, it will or no Windows. longer, it, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, Libre SSL will not be, will right. not offer Windows compatibility right. nor VMS compatibility. The, but the point is, it will be hope, apparently vastly smaller. And, and, you know, their goal is to like, you know, go through it and root out all of the stuff, the cruft, which it has sort of accumulated as features were added that well yeah okay i could see that when on the on a full moon when that is also leap year that you know that might come in handy but gee is it worth having that in you know in everybody's copy of open ssl uh, probably not so i mean the, the open ssl even has its own printf implementation really and one of their yes one of their comments is sandy uh, pretty much no one needs to write their own printf implementation yeah. Because they can just obviously bind to the right. to the C runtime that's got printf, right. but OpenSSL has one in case you didn't have one, you know, around or available. So that gives you some sense for it. So the reason I consider it a mixed blessing, as I as I said before, is that it's like, oh boy, you know, hacking in a human in there, it's very easy to make a mistake, very easy to introduce some subtle incompatibility so it's like yikes um I, I i my i guess my recommendation is great that this has happened now give it 10 years <laughs> mm -hmm. because boy uh uh I, I thought i had a quote i don't see it here now i i, I ran across it might be somewhere else uh a, a really Clever. I think it was in the Q and A. A Phil Zimmer. Yes, it is in the Q and A. A Phil Zimmerman quote. You know about 
this notion. So we'll we'll get that when we get we, when we get to it. Um, there is a very important piece of security news relative to uh, updates. Everyone listening to this, if you haven't already, who is running a Mac with OS ten, needs to update now. Um, there's the, the Apple released this morning, and such a short time before the podcast, I couldn't get them into the show notes. So I, I, I pull, I quickly generated after the show notes were already formatted and PDF'd and emailed to everyone and posted on the site and everything. I created another file uh, that goes through what happened. So we normally don't do this with Apple because we normally don't have access to this. Uh, th- this was actually posted on GitHub by a guy. Um, uh, uh, Frederick, I hope I got his name right. I don't have it here. Uh, who is at Whisper Systems? Who who posted this? Who who found this and posted it to to detail what's going on? It affects iOS to a much lesser degree. Um, so iOS does you know there's an iOS update and a Mac OS 10 update. And I'll and I'll note. I think we were talking this talking about this before we hit record, Leo, on the podcast. That it does restart your iOS device, and you'll find Bluetooth re-enabled as always mm. after one of these updates. So turn a Bluetooth off if you don't need it. That's standard um, advice because you know having Bluetooth on opens a, a RF attack surface. That you, for your device, you'd just rather not have. We don't know of any problems with Bluetooth stack until we know about them. So Apple points just, out they use it for location uh, granularity. Right, so. right. You get better location, and I, I know it's like uh, okay. They do the same thing on the uh, Wi-Fi. They don't want you to turn off Wi-Fi. Uh, see, but Wi-Fi I can understand. The only way I can see Bluetooth granularity would be if you're near beacons at an Apple oh, store. Oh yeah. Or I mean, the point is, you need some, you need to be within range, Bluetooth range of something with a with a b- known Bluetooth location. Right. So, you know, like other Bluetooth people, maybe. Anyway, I just I just it gives me the creeps to have it on as a security guy. So you know, except because I have I have to have it on for my uh, beloved uh, typo keyboard, but on on my phone, but it's off on all my pads because <laughs> I just don't need it. So okay, so what happened? Um, on both, both for Mac OS 10 and iOS, uh, for Lion, Lion Server, Mountain Lion, and Mavericks. So this one goes back a ways. There is an a, an attacker in a privileged network position can obtain website credentials. Now this is really interesting. This is, I mean, I don't know that this doesn't affect everyone everywhere on everything. I mean everything. I mean Windows and and Android and BlackBerry and everything. Because get a load of this one. The description is this, the, the set cookie HTTP header could be processed even if the connection is closed before the header line was complete. An attacker could strip security settings from the cookie by forcing the connection to close before the security settings were sent and then obtain the value of the unprotected cookie. This issue was addressed by ignoring incomplete 
HTTP header lines. Okay, now, now what? Okay, so I, I read this in the late morning and I thought, what? And okay, I've, you know, written a lot of set cookie headers in my time and reverse engineering this, it's like, uh, okay. So a set cookie header, the normal format is a set, the word, the, the phrase set hyphen cookie colon space. Then you, then the, uh, you, then you have a name equals value pair. That is the name of the cookie equals the contents of the cookie. And you can do that a few times to set whatever cookies you want. Then you, can, you have an optional term which specifies that this can only be delivered over HTTPS. And I don't know if it has to be last, but by convention, it is last. And so... What these guys realized was, and this is, I regard this as theoretical because I don't even know if this is, act, if you could actually do this because it would have to be that the first part of the header line ended, or, or yeah, ended the packet it was in and the, the security phrase which is normally tacked on the end, was in the next packet. Because that's the only way you could sever the connection in between packets. You can't sever the connection in a packet because then the packet's not going to validate. So, you know, it's like, okay. That's why I, I, I earlier tweeted, it's like, hey, folks, you know, update iOS when you get around to it. But, you know, <laughs> just don't be in a panic about this one. Um, so interesting theoretical problem, but seems to me really obscure. But at the same time, I don't. And so, so in the case of of Apple's systems, both iOS and Mac OS X, they would they would allow this incomplete header to be processed, even though it didn't have its normal carriage return line feed ending at the end which tells which is the, what they're now doing that this is what the what, what the change is is they have to they wait till they get that formal end of line carriage return line feed to say that they we, we received the whole header they were processing a partial header and someone figured out that you could if you could snip it right at the exact right character which has to be on a packet boundary then I mean, which also has to be on a packet boundary, then you could get the cookie, which prob which may well contain, for example, your session, it might be your session cookie, which you definitely want to keep secret. It could make it non-protected, not protected by SSL. Then you would connect again and, and, and be able to, then, then you would spoof the server and the browser that had stored the cookie unprotected would give it to you over HTTP. Again, it's a convoluted exploit. It's kind of like FireSheep, though, right? Once you've got the but, session cookie. Yeah, yeah but, it, but again, Leo, you know, you've got yeah, to, I mean, talk about, yeah. talk about standing on one foot, touching your nose, jumping up and, you know, trying to click your heels together hey, three this times. This is the kind of security flaw we like. <laughs> if there are any good security flaws, this is that. Yeah, this, like I said, yes, update iOS, but you know, 
don't don't like rush home to do it. You'll, you'll be okay. Um, there is okay. That, that was one of a number. There is a problem not in iOS, only in the in OS ten, in the core services UI agent. And this sounds potentially more problematical, which is why I said absolutely do update OS ten. I've updated all of my Macs immediately. Um, I mean, they were turned off, but I turned them on in order to update them. Um, visiting a maliciously crafted website or URL may result in an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. That's bad. So they they, they describe it as a format string issue existed in the handling of URLs. This is like bad. This issue was addressed through additional validation of URLs. This issue does not affect systems prior to OS X Mavericks. So they did something that broke URL validation in a way that allows a malformed URL to potentially perform an arbitrary code execution. That's bad. That means, you know, links on web pages, links in email, the link itself could be malicious. So, ouch, you know, patch, patch that, everybody. Um, In the font parser, again, another potential problem. Opening a maliciously crafted PDF file may result in an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. And then Apple says that a buffer overflow existed in the handling of fonts in PDF files. And we already know, you know, from all of the coverage of this in Windows, those are not good. This issue has addressed what was addressed through additional bounds checking. This issue does not affect OS X 10, Oh, I'm sorry. This issue does not affect OS X Mavericks systems, so previous. So this was something they, they fixed at OS X, which does affect er, er, um, er, earlier ones. Um, and then one that is new for Mavericks, and this is bad also. This is in the Image I.O. library. Viewing a maliciously crafted JPEG image may lead to an unexpected application termination or arbitrary code execution. They said a buffer overflow issue existed in ImageIO's handling of JPEG images. This issue was addressed in this patch through improved bounds checking. This issue does not affect systems prior to OS X Mavericks. So again, a new problem introduced in Mavericks. Um... And there's a problem with the Intel. I think everybody's got the idea. <laughs> Update. Yeah. This is important for, for OS X. Uh, Intel graphics driver problem. Um, there are a number of these that are local that are, for that reason, much less concerned than like clicking on a link on a web page and you're, you're pwned. Um, there's, uh, so there's a, uh, in the, in the graphics driver, a malicious application can take control of the system. So that's not good, but not, you know, a remote cross-internet problem. Uh, IOKit kernel, uh, also in iOS, there was a problem where a local user could read kernel pointers, which allowed a defeat for address space layout randomization. So, and this actually is a perfect instance of the kind of bug that could be leveraged into um, a jailbreak. 
uh, and we'll be talking about jailbreaking in in today's Q and A. So, um, so um, again, that's something you want to fix, uh, and so on. So, uh, anyway, definitely worth doing. Um, there was the uh, WebKit had uh, sixteen things found and fixed for iOS. So, and they're potentially exploitable. So, again update your Apple devices. And uh, it's nice that uh, I thank Frederick for uh, this great information. We normally don't get this from Apple. So it's, uh, it's interesting to have that for a change. Um, oh, and I just, uh, uh, our friend Simon Zarafa tweeted something that just, I just, it just caught me at the right moment. So I put it under security funnies. Uh, he tweeted, due to a security leak, your biometric data may have been compromised. We recommend you change your fingerprints as soon as possible. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did have a uh, just a short tweet from uh, one of our listeners and a follower uh, who sat, actually sent it to at Gibson Research. He said, uh, and this was at 531 in the morning. So, or at least I guess I don't know if that's my time or his time on the 19th. He said, just recovered a 500 gigabyte drive. After 28 hours working that out, Spinrite brought it back to life. Another happy customer. And this was, his name was Mar and Mtropy Ancino uh, is his uh, tweet handle. So thank you for, for tweeting that. I appreciate that. And <laughs> uh, sh- sharing it with our, yeah, it's neat with our listeners. Do you uh, want to take a little break and then I'll uh, pose some questions for you? Perfect. Let's do it. Our show today brought to you by the fine folks at Citrix who make a product you may have heard of. Gosh knows I use it all the time called ShareFile. You can find out more at ShareFile.com. Go ahead. You can all go there at once. It won't bring it down. ShareFile is a great way to uh, share files over the Internet. You know if you listen to this show, email attachments are verboten. We don't do email attachments. I don't do attachments. No. And yet, I would guess that uh, the majority of business emails have something attached, a, you know, a, a doc file or a, a PDF, maybe a contract, a presentation, PowerPoint presentation, uh, spreadsheets. That's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. First of all, uh, bounce backs are a problem. As these files get bigger and bigger, most email systems just won't handle them. Certainly many won't. Uh, not to mention the total security or lack thereof risk that you're that you're running by sending stuff through the email. It's like sending it in a postcard. So I would suggest it's you know sending it through the email as an attachment is not HIPAA compliant, not compliant with regulations in many industries. I would suggest ShareFile. What ShareFile do- does is it, it, you choose your industry, and it works in so many industries: accounting, architecture, medical, legal, real estate. If you're a lawyer and you and you're sending you know pleadings through the mail or client information through the mail i it, you know better than that having that disclaimer at the bottom of your email saying if this is not the party for whom this email was intended you must destroy it without reading immediately yeah right like that's going to work you need to be using sharefile let me show you i'll log into my sharefile account and uh, give you an idea of what sharefile can do for you um, first of all if you go to my account you'll see that it's branded it doesn't say sharefile it says twit has a Twit logo on everything. 
Uh, files get up here. I could upload them directly, but they most often get up here through the Share File Sync tool, which is always running in the background. Synchronizes uh, my folders. I have a couple of different Share File folders that I use. Once uh, it's on the uh, uh, Share File cloud, by the way, I can access it through the Share free Share File apps on my tablets, my iPad, my Android device. But uh, so I use it to send stuff to radio stations. So here's a voice track uh, for a radio station. I'll pick the uh, the file now. I I can press the send button, and I'll get a you know a web form to let me send an email. You can also use an Outlook plugin that makes it look just like an attachment. That's very nice for people, who, you know, aren't super technical. I use this interface. This is how I send because we're, I don't know who I'm sending to. You know, somebody at a radio station who may may not be technical. So I want to control it. I, I can, you know, require them to enter their name and email. I can say how long they can have it, a year, a day, n you know, never expires, how many times they can download. Let's say I can, I'm going to say you can download this once and it expires after one day and I'm going to get an email when you do it. Now I'm going to press send and I'm going to get a secure link, HTTPS secure link. I'll copy that link to the clipboard and paste it in for you so you see what they see. But once, once you have the link... You attach. You just set, you put it in the email. So I do this every uh, Thursday, every Wednesday, I guess. I send them a file. There we go. Copy that to clipboard, paste it in, and here we go. This is what they're going to see. And it it really is nice if they're not sophisticated. They'll see my logo. They'll see a you know it says download. It says what it is. You know a wave file, the name of it, the length, I mean the size, and a download button. Could not be easier. This solves a huge problem for me and for you, too, if you're sharing files, attaching files to email, sharing files in business. I want you to try ShareFile right now. Visit ShareFile.com. Go to the top of the page. You get a 30 days free when you click this podcast listeners. Click here link. 30 days free. If you have a business or, you know, you work for somebody, you're in an IT department, if, if it's just if you're a doctor or a lawyer or you, you just know there's a better way. Tell the person who's responsible to check it out for 30 days free. Sharefile.com. I use it to send pictures to people. I use it all the time. Sharefile.com. Click the podcaster's link at the top of the page and enter our offer code security now. One word for 30 days free. Security now for 30 days free. Sharefile.com. We thank them so much for their support of security now. Leo Laporte, Steve Gibson. Eight questions, which is, it's, you know what? Now, in hindsight, that seems like a right number. Uh, <laughs> feeling. <laughs> uh, question number one from Casey Elijah. I, mean, I love them, Leo. A lot, a lot of them are short. So Short's good. They can yeah, be tweets, good. you know, that kind of thing. Casey yep. Elisha, or, uh, yeah, Elisha Bailey. Bellevue. Now, this says Bellevue, du Nebraska, via Twitter. Steve, isn't there going to be some quick talk over jailbreaking at the end of the iOS security episodes that time ended up running out upon? Yes, indeed. So, okay. In fact, you know, as I was as I was listening to your commercial with one ear, uh, I was thinking, you know, my comment about the patch that just was issued where a local application was able to obtain kernel pointers... Uh -huh. And I even even then I said, well, that's kind of the way a jailbreak would work. I wouldn't be this the is to least block jailbreaks. Yep. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised if if no. I mean, if that if that update blocked a an effective jailbreak. That's they that do is, that if, all the time. 
Yes. And so so that's a perfect example. So in the three weeks that we that we covered iOS security, we basically looked at this, you know, soup to nuts, you know, amazingly aggressive security architecture, which Apple has put in place where, you know, from the moment the power turns on and the 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 boot kernel checks the signature of the code in memory before it loads it and then it loads it and runs it and it checks the code of the next thing so you get this chain of verification and you know replete with all the other checks that we talked about the, the this is specifically to prevent things like a jailbreak to to prevent applications from doing anything wrong so the question is how then can they and it it was and i'd never really focused on jailbreaking it just wasn't something i'd looked at before and and we hadn't had any any i i had had no need to go dig into it but reading these documents i found myself thinking well wait a minute how how do you jailbreak in that case and the answer is exactly what we would expect there is it's one thing to have a a bulletproof perfectly worked out design but you also have to have a bulletproof perfectly worked out implementation and we know how diff i mean open ssl is an example of you know a i mean and and in 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 tls we're still finding little edge cases where tls you know like it's like something we didn't think about in the protocol. So it's possible that the, that the design can be wrong independent of the implementation being right or the design can be solid and the impl- implementation can be wrong. So jailbreaks leverage mistakes, even tiny mistakes, I mean, like, you know, infinitesimal mistakes, little chinks in the implementation of the architecture that we covered, which looks absolutely bulletproof. And and a perfect example is the one we read, where a local application manages through some oversight, either in design, which is still possible, or in implementation, to get some information that allows it to, to bypass the mitigations that Apple has put in place. And that thus a jailbreak. It gets some foothold and is then able to like, for example, if there was any way that an application could get enough privilege to change one byte on, you know, like one byte in storage, for example, the, 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 the byte that verifies the signature, somewhere there's a byte that, you know, is doing Ultimately, after all this fancy, amazing crypto, it comes down to a jump, you know, to a conditional branch, equal or not equal. And all you have to do is change a bit in order to change that from an equal to a non-equal. And in doing that, in changing that bit, you have broken the signature. But now you've also changed the test to make sure it's broken rather than to make sure it's not broken. So... That gives you a sense. If, if, there's, if there's any way to change what Apple intends, that's all it takes. And so it's been a cat and mouse game. The major work that Apple did 
when they released version 6 was primarily focused on security improvements to prevent jailbreaking and 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 the the people in the community who were either watching the jailbreakers or enjoyed the challenge of trying to jailbreak you know iOS and iPhones um ended up concluding that iOS 6 the mitigations in place significantly raised the bar on what it took to jailbreak and that many of the old tricks didn't work. Um, uh, And many of the bugs, which were once reliably exploitable, just no longer are. So, so basically that, that, you know, that finishes our coverage of (laughs) iOS and jailbreaking it's it's and, and i like my little example of just one bit flips the sense of the jump so that it verifies the signature now it verifies the non-signature which you also get because of the of of the change of the bit and then i should say then you go make other changes that you want to in the code to give you the access that you want that's why you then have the user reboot the phone and up oh, look it comes up broken uh, somebody's saying that's that's what you do to uh, break or used to do to break copy protection on disks. You'd use a hex editor. You'd look for the copy protection code and you'd just jump. Yeah, you just exactly. You just I, say jump around that. <laughs> there was there was a really really good friend of mine who who had a dongle protected um, a dongle protected vertical application program. It was like it was for like embroidery graphics or something. I mean, really obscure. Uh, the dongle literally like got fried. I saw it. It was like charcoal. I don't know what happened, but something catastrophic. And the company was gone. They were out of business. And so he, and he was actually one of my very best friends. And he said, Steve, you know, we bought this. Here's the, what's left of the dongle, but we can't get it replaced. The company's gone. And so I rolled up my sleeves back in the, the, the those were back in the DOS days with DOS, with, with uh, soft ice and stepped through and found the test and just removed the branch yeah. and then it worked you know i mean that's the problem is that this the, all software has an achilles heel like that and and this is why apple's challenge is so great is they have to be perfect and yeah. they're they're getting much closer to it somebody's saying also in the chat room that the, no one has jailbroken to date the current uh, apple tv which is also an ios device and uh, I, for a long time, used jailbreaks on Apple TV to add capabilities to it, um, oh. FireCore. And I guess you can't do it anymore. I didn't know that. Well, re- remember, it's a function both of how how hard the problem is and how great the demand is. Yes. So, yes. so it, I mean, because if, if we take the notion of, 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 of this stuff all to some degree being porous then how much pressure are you putting against the porosity in order to, to you know, force your force your code yeah, in? Lots and, of incentive to break the iPhone, maybe a little less than the Apple TV. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Twitter from uh, Joe at The News Now. And this is the one you were referring to at SGGRC. If a squirrel were written in active, I'm sorry, were in active use, would it be vulnerable to the Heartbleed flaw? Uh, you want a one-word answer? <laughs> no. Uh, yes. No. The answer is no. Yeah. Uh, and 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 really quickly, the reason is, and this is what's one of the very cool things about Squirrel, if I don't say so myself, 
is that Squirrel doesn't give a web server any secrets to keep. That's my favorite way of expressing it. Squirrel gives web servers no secrets to keep. Normal login, you there is a secret. We call it your password. And we're wanting the website to keep your password secret. And and that, and because traditionally and historically and famously they can't, that's the problem. Squirrel doesn't give them a secret. Squirrel gives them an ID. And then when you come back and allege and assert that ID, the website can test that you that, that that ID is true, that you actually are that user. And because your ID changes for every site you go to and everyone has a different ID, it's just noise. So uh, Heartbleed has, would have no effect on Squirrel whatsoever. The people could – websites could publish the Squirrel credentials of all their users. Huh. It would tell them nothing because they are – they're completely anonymous – and they, they are of no value to any other site, only that particular domain. And, and they, only rep, they, they, they just represent a user, but they provide no other information. That's awesome. It, I, I know. I'm, I, <laughs> That's the point. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be back to it shortly. Squirrel, for those who uh, – I, I don't know how you could not know, but for those who don't know, is Steve's uh, unique approach to uh, website uh, login. Coming soon to one of 53 languages near you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's Dave Collins following up. Similar question. Does Heartbleed rely on SSL over UDP to exploit? Will only allowing TCP443 connections through my firewall prevent an attack? And I think I'm responsible for this confusion, Dave. I apologize for that. Because I remember I introduced the heartbleed conversation by talking about where the heartbeat came from. And it was the addition of a TLS heartbeat, uh, which is where the heartbleed name arose. And it was a mistake in the heartbeat code, which is in SSL and which do, and, and in the latest version of, of, of SSL slash TLS, you can transport that over either UDP or TCP. Um, so, unfortunately, the answer is no. Heartbleed does not rely on SSL over UDP. Um, it's probably equally vulnerable there, but it's definitely vulnerable over TCP. So, so when, when you say, will only allowing TCP 443 through my firewall prevent the attack... Remember that it's not even letting it through your firewall that's a problem. It's what it arrives at. Um, one thing we never discussed was we talked about the servers, the, the, the server side vulnerability that is of a malicious client probing the server, sucking out all of the server's private information or a great quantity of it. We never talked about the client side vulnerabilities, and they're they're symmetrical. That is, when you if you have a client, which is to say, um, uh, you know, an appliance or uh, any software using that vulnerable version of SSL, 
it, first of all, you might be running a server yourself, in which case you're vulnerable just like the internet servers were. But you also might be running a client who reaches out over SSL to remote servers. If your client, so if your client is doing that over TLS connections and it's using that vulnerable range of open SSL and you connected to a malicious server, it could reverse probe you and you wouldn't know it. It could use heart bleed on you, the client, in order to extract 64K of stuff from your, from your client machine. So um, remember, this is only TCP. And, and so allowing, so in Dave's case, allowing it through his firewall, it's not like the packets passing by that's the problem. It's where they go. So if they went to a server with open SSL in that vulnerable range, yes, that's a problem. If they went to, if you had it open because you wanted, you know, client activity, which normally your firewall will open that for you, uh, or the the router will dynamically, that's not going to be a problem. But so it's so it's important to note that clients in that with that range of open SSL would be subject to attack by a malicious server that they reached out and connected with. All right, moving along to <laughs> question four. And this is a good one, actually. I'd like to know because we, we, we talked about this with you and Bruce Schneier, that, that some routers are vulnerable to heart bleed. Our questioner, right. Car Car the Marklar, <laughs> Tweets. Steve, is there a way to test my home router for an open SSL heartbleed vulnerability? And I have such good news. Uh, I didn't realize this I was a very good friend of mine had written this until you know I Car tweeted Car it. the Marklar? No, no, I know Robin Keir. Oh. Uh, 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 Robin was at McAfee for a while. He was at Foundstone before that. And at Foundstone, and I, I think McAfee bought Foundstone, I'm pretty sure. Uh, when, he, when he was at Foundstone, he was producing all kinds of cool utilities. So it, it's funny because he's now at CrowdStrike.com. And I remembered that he had left. He used to actually be in Southern California, and he left and moved east. So I got a, I got a word from Twitter. Someone sent me this news. I went to CrowdStrike uh, to get it. So, okay, the, the link is... I created a bit.ly link for this episode for this tool. Windows, by the way, uh, although it does run in um, Wine. So Mac users who have Wine set up and Linux users can also use it. Uh, and by the way, the Squirrel app is going to be the same way. It'll be definitely, I mean, assured to be Wine compatible. So uh, uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash S-N, all lowercase, S-N hyphen 452, which is today's episode number. So bit.ly slash sn-452. That will expand to the link to the page where you can download this. So my experience was special because I went there, looked at it, kind of looked okay. I was being careful. I download this thing, and it's like, you know, Firefox is, you're done. I was like, what? I was like, well, no. And I mean, it's like downloading Spinrite. It's not something I was used to. So I 
run it, and there's no setup, no install. It just sort of asked me to agree to the license agreement, and then there it is. And it's like, what? Where'd this come from? And it's a couple hundred K, I think. I don't remember. It's small. Anyway, so I I was I, I was just stunned. It's Windows and then only, Robin, though, I should point out. It is Windows only, yeah. both 32 and 64-bit. And But that's my point. That's why I, me- I mentioned it runs under Wine, is Linux and Mac users can run it. And there's even a there's a way to bind wine into the app. Uh, I saw it pass by and I didn't. Yeah. So so you're, you're able but to. Then it wouldn't it be 200 K. Oh, it would be monstrous. You're putting the Windows anyway, APIs so in there. I can vouch a thousand percent for this. This is a it is a scanner, a self-contained scanner for the Heartbleed vulnerability. And if it's from Robin, it works and it's done right and it's good. And then when he tweeted, he says, yeah, I, I, that's mine. I said, oh, my goodness. Well, now I understand why it's a nice piece of work. So This is good to know because uh, we had a caller on the radio show who wanted to know if his NAS was susceptible to heart bleed. Yes. And, and you need a way to test it, basically, yes. if, if the company so, doesn't mention it. so But he could run this, right? And it would show up if his NAS was susceptible. Yes. W- what you could do is most people use a 192.168.0.star or .1.star. You can put in the range and just turn it loose. And it will scan the entire mm. – that, that's only 256 IPs or 253 right. technically. So uh, it would scan the range and it will show you no connect, no connect, no connect, no connect, and then when it's able to connect and then whether or not there's a vulnerability there. So, Or you could just point it directly at the IP of your NAS if you knew what it was so and it would good. just instantly tell you. Such so, a good thing. Thank you. I will pass that along to our, our listener. CrowdStrike yeah, Heartbleed Scanner. Just Google for that and you'll find it. Perfect. Yeah. What a good tip. Um, oh, let's do some more. <laughs> and thank you, Rob and thank you, Robin. Robin Keir. Lance Reichert, itinerant engineer. Have router will travel. He's home to roost at last, and uh, his subject is hold off. Hold off on fixing Heartbleed. Some suggest being careful in rolling out fixes to security flaws, echoing Phil Zimmerman's warning, quote, treat all new crypto as you would new pharmaceuticals. Or the stronger maxim, all new crypto is snake oil until proven otherwise. And so, anyway, that was what I was referring to. Uh, I knew it was here somewhere. I just got a big kick out of Phil Zimmerman's uh, very apt analogy i yeah, think yeah. treat all new crypto as you would new pharmaceuticals there's so many ways in which that's right because you, everybody who listens to the podcast knows how i feel about anything new is it's just like oh uh, let somebody else get the arrows in their back uh, i'll wait till we're two more os versions ma- major versions ahead and then i'll then i'll cautiously move forward so now we and, can and presume again, that the open ssl fix is a, is is good right Absolutely. This, I mean, I wanted to share what Lance shared, but in this case, this is, it is, it's not like this was a mystery or, you know, anyone was scratching their head or only, we're not really sure, but now we, you know, we, we shook it three times and now the problem doesn't, you know, the problem went away. No, we, we, we know exactly what, what, what tiny mistake was made that resulted in a huge event. And there's been some really interesting discussion, which is sort of off topic for us. But, you know, like the notion of the monoculture, the fact that 
open SSL is so hugely used that a tiny mistake that went unseen for two years could shake up the internet to the degree that it has. And it's because of the monoculture of, in this case, security. I mean, open SSL is the standard library. But in this case, we a tiny fix was all that was necessary. We don't know that there aren't other problems, but we know that absolutely heartbleed and this problem is closed. No question. But if you're using something like Libra SSL... Uh, and I wouldn't. You couldn't make me. No, yeah. nothing could make me use that's that. That's a full I mean, re-implementation of the library. Well, it's a hack job. I mean, they're like, <laughs> oh, worse. we've removed 90,000 lines of code. Yeah. Well, I hope that you didn't move remove any important ones. Yeah. You know, uh, I hope you checked real carefully. <laughs> so stick with the new OpenSSL 1.0.1G. Yeah, uh, yeah. Use that and library, and then some, we'll watch someday, with interest someday. Someday, Libre will have proven itself. But but again, let let it prove itself on someone else's network. <laughs> question question six comes from Nick Donnelly, who is back in London from Saigon. He says shredding is a weak site. Where we talked about shredding, he said, "I know you're paranoid, but are you paranoid enough?" For those of you uh, who have seen the Nicolas Cage movie. Lord of War, which was a fun movie. He's a uh, he plays a uh, yeah arms, a arms dealer. Yeah, it's, it's good. A great, it's yeah. a great. Movie. Shredded paper, given enough time and determination, can be pieced back together by an attacker. The equivalent, perhaps, of using a weak cipher. Shouldn't you be burning it, Steve? What if those garbage men are from the NSA? After all, love the show. Can't wait to try see Squirrel in the Wild. Pun intended. That's so cute. okay, I you know we we mentioned this. I don't remember if it was on. Sugar last week, I think. No, it was late. Well, I don't know either, but I think, I think it, was it was last week. week. And, yeah. and, you, and you asked me, do I have a shredder? Yeah. And I do. And I mentioned it's a confetti and shredder. Crosscut. Crosscut, yes. Um, and and so I, I just thought, okay, well, I, actually what I wanted to talk about was something else that this, that this put me in mind of. But the documents that I'm shredding are not important. Or, I, I mean, I wouldn't be throwing them away i would be archiving them or or you know doing something you know maybe using them to start fires uh as nick suggests i mean they're just it's just like a snapshot of you know that i get every month of 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 accounts and things but i mean no confidential information but i've said it before and i will say it again um i have installed firewalls between my 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 G, mine and GRCs and the various types of accounts w w both I and GRC have, and it annoys my bookkeeper because she is forced to write checks in order to move funds. I will not allow electronic funds transfer uh, between accounts where it's not something that 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 well uh, you know period where. You know, I mean, in some cases, you just have to, for, like between our merchant account and our main operating account, we've got to be able to move funds there. But but accounts where, you know, that are staging accounts and investment accounts and so forth, they have they they are firewalled, which it's funny how much like the bank goes, what? Why? Why? Why don't you want that? You know, that, that's unusual. It's like, yes, it's because it's not safe. And, you know, I want the bank to be responsible, not us. 
if somehow some fraudulent electronic funds transfer tries to happen. And if they let it through, it's their responsibility, not ours. So I just wanted to say to people, I've mentioned this before, but I, it's, you know, there are banking Trojans in people's machines. People are losing all their money for which there's no recourse. So although it's not as convenient, you know, if you're interested in security, I would shut down electronic funds transfer between accounts where you really don't have an ongoing business need to have it. It defaults on. It's one of those bad settings in banking. It's on unless you insist on turning it off. Hmm. I have it all over the place. I know. I mean, it's just, again, (laughs) everyone does. Well, I use it all the time. I mean, I don't have a – I guess I could go to the bank. Well, so – I would consider that a business purpose. Fortunately, I have Sue, and I can make her write checks. So she grumbles, but she writes checks. Like, you know, I transfer money into my kids' accounts so that they have, you know, money. I don't want to, you know, I need to do that. I I do that. So I guess my point is the thing to do would be to, to not have all your money in the account from which you're transferring money from. Oh, I, yeah. So you know, a smaller pool to steal from. Yeah, that makes sense. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. I well, I what what am I? No. <laughs> is there is there a widespread and aren't they liable if there's an automatic funds transfer out of my account? No, they're not. No, and pe- this is there's no recourse. People lose tens of thousands of dollars ir- irreparably, irretrievably. I guess I better. You can turn it off, huh? Yes. I guess I better turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Hey. You didn't hear this. I don't have EFT. It's <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Question uh, seven comes to us from Murray Court in Edinburgh. He offers an IT Pro TV testimonial. Now we should and mention I, I just, this is a sponsor, IT Pro TV. They're great guys. Tim and Don were in here last week, uh, and what they do is they do training. Um, you know, kind of uh, cert training, but they do it kind of in the style that we do with a live stream and video and stuff. And so it's really fun. Anyway, he he says he's a fan of the show. He's been listening for about two years and he subscribed for about six months to ITPro.TV. He says, I don't have an IT background, but I started listening to your show in order to learn about crypto. So when I heard the ad for ITPro.TV on the show, it seemed like too good a deal to pass over. He started working towards his CompTIA Security Plus certification. I am now CompTIA A plus and Network Plus certified, and I plan on taking the Security Plus test next month. That's awesome. Good man. What's his name? Well done, Murray. I'm happy that I can now better enjoy your show as I now understand the terminology you guys frequently use, like NAT and IPv4 and PPTP, etc. Furthermore, I understand the underlying concepts. I realize you guys have probably defined all of this terminology in your years on the air together. However, the guys at IT Pro TV have condensed the basics of IT and networking into an enjoyable framework with the added benefit of preparing you for professional certification. I would recommend ITPro.tv to anyone who enjoys security now but has the occasional difficulty keeping the propeller hat on and keeping up with Steve. 
Feel free to read this on there. Well, they're not on. They actually don't have an ad this week. But hey, there you go. I think that's great. I like. I appreciate the uh, the testimonial. Well, and I, I ran across this, you know, unsolicited in the mailbag yeah. as I was going through to build our our Q and A for today. And I thought, yeah, I mean, it was so well written and and such yeah. a great, you know, a first a first hand yeah. account. I thought, yeah, let's let's share that. It's a nice story. They they now have the um, what is it? ISC squared. The there's a new certificate, uh, even more high end security certificate. Uh, that they also are doing, and uh, it's fun. It's a, you know, it's nice. It's easy to watch, and you learn it kind of almost just the same way you learn from listening to this show. Yeah, fun. and he is right. We have we've covered all of those oh, yeah. terminologies in excruciating depth yeah. in the past, and they're available. You can go find them, but you can also get, I guess, maybe a condensed version and a little more targeted. You right. know, targeted toward more what you have to know exactly. rather than. You know, it's actually broken down bit. by the questions and the chapters and stuff. So you ah, learn exactly. Nice. Yeah, you're learning that stuff. Teaching to the test is not always a bad thing. Tom Barron's our last question comes from Long Island, New York. He wonders about Chrome's certificate revocation checkbox. Steve, you said I believe in the last security now we should be clicking on the box to allow Chrome for check to check for revocation of certificates. I'm reading articles that say differently, and they're quoting Google directly. I'd love to hear your input on this since I have checked the said box, Tom B. Long Island. I said, I, okay. we showed you how to do it on the show. Yep. And um, I, I didn't realize when I, I want this was going to be my lead in question for next week. And we ended up I got into it a little more than I intended to at the beginning of the show. So I won't drag everyone through that again. Just to say that 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 by the end of next week, everyone who listens will absolutely understand the whole truth and the nothing and nothing but the truth. I mean the absolute story on revocation. And because I, 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 I have learned so much in the last week from from the consequences of the revoked.grc.com site and trying to understand you know, for, for example, today, Chrome cannot block it on Android. Absolutely can't. But it is on iOS, but nobody else is on iOS. And Firefox is the only thing that works on Android. I will explain why today, I will explain why in, in next week, why Firefox is, in terms of certificate revocation, the only secure browser that exists today. Mm. And and how we change that for everybody else. Now, somebody um, posted in the chat room, oh, Steve, revoke.grc.com is broken. No, this is what's supposed to happen. <laughs> it's, it's not broken. <laughs> You're supposed to get a warning that it can't connect. That means, yes, but that you, means your browser's smart and is recognizing it, right? Right. But if you try that with Chrome on Android, you will see the page, which you should oh. not see. If you try that with iOS on uh, with Safari on iOS, you will see the page, which you should not see. So, so revocation. The the and see the the Google's complaint is that it's not perfect, and nothing that Adam has said, a Adam Langley has said, is factually incorrect. But it is very biased when when he says that the Chrome's certificate, rev its own private CRL set, doesn't contain all the revoked certificates. I mean, boy, is he telling the truth. Hmm. Because it's like saying that this, this thimble of water doesn't contain all of the water <laughs> in the oceans. Right. Because the Chrome CRL set is limited to about 24,000 certs total. 
Yeah. And that's how many are revoked daily. Oh. So it's a incredibly minimal subset and absolutely doesn't do the job. Well, let's, we're going to so, get into this debate. That's going to be very interesting next week. And by the way, there it is. That's what it yep. looks like if it's done wrong. I'm surfing to yep. it on my Android phone and I'm getting a message from Steve. Revocation awareness test. If you can see this. And apparently you can. <laughs> you are <laughs> using you're reading it. Yes, a revocation on a web browser. So you want to see this. That looks like it's broken, but the way you, this is the that's the test. You want to see the the block the with the big browser preventing you yeah. from getting to this page. Exactly. You don't you don't want to see the page. And if you do, then you're going to want to listen next week and find out why Google has decided that this is not a box that you should check. Yeah, we have it. It's a fabulous so just, podcast. We're gonna. I can't wait, and everybody's gonna listen. But just should I still check that box in Chrome? Yes, okay. it, it does you no harm. What 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 Adam's argument is, and again, he's not wrong. It's that it does you no good. Bad, is what he's saying. Yes, he's saying that if a bad guy did actually want to exploit a revoked certificate, they could arrange to defeat the revocation test. And, but it's not absolutely true. You have to be a powerful, properly positioned bad guy in the right setting. So it's it's he's absolutely right that revocation, Google's revocation with that checkbox can be defeated. Firefox's cannot because everybody else is using what's called soft fail, where if you can't right. verify revocation, then you assume it's okay. If you check that second checkbox on the Firefox uh, dialogue where they say, if you cannot affirm that the certificate is okay, treat it as failed, that's called a hard fail. Only Firefox offers it. And ah, so what I'm seeing here on Chrome, this is not a hard fail. Correct. This is check for cert server certificate revocation, but it will not fail if, it's not, if, it's if they can't verify that it's been revoked. Even if, if they it's not a correct certificate. Exactly. Well, that's not right. <laughs> exactly. No. It's, 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 I mean, and so my whole goal, you know, Internet engineers have been saying, I've read Adam say, there doesn't seem to be much demand for this. Uh -huh. I argue it's because nobody knows. Yeah, this has been hidden know. from us. No. Yes. Yeah. And so by the end of next week, everybody is going to understand this. It's really interesting. And there'll be a sudden increase in the demand. <laughs> and and that's all we need. We need, I mean, Apple. Apple doesn't allow browsers to do this. They And, and Android absolutely doesn't allow it. You know, Chrome can't do it. They right. can't even use their own small 24K search block list on Chrome or on, on Android. Wow. So it's, a, it's, it's very complicated until the end of next week. And then everyone's going to go, Okay, that wasn't so hard. I understand all the uh, issues. I, I saw Adam's post. Of course, it was the first thing I was going to bring up this uh, on this show because I said, whoa, wait, wait a minute. It's more complicated than we thought, and it is. But, the, yes. but of course, there's nobody better than the explainer chief, and so we'll talk about it next week. You'll find you Steve will. at GRC.com. That's where you'll also find Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. That's Steve's bread and butter. There's a lot of free stuff there, too, including... The browser revocation test, and uh, I presume lots of information about that coming up. Previous episodes, show notes, uh, full transcription, so you can read along as you listen along. He also puts uh, very kindly puts a 64k, I'm sorry, 16k 
uh, version of that on the website. Uh, Low-quality low audio for bandwidth-impaired folks, but we do have uh, 64K audio, uh, MP3 audio, as well as a full uh, HD and SD video at twit.tv slash SN for every one of our 452 consecutive episodes. It's funny. Elaine waits for me to to create the compressed version every... I mean, she's waiting now She needs until, the 16K version. Because she's got a satellite link right. and, I mean, is really bandwidth constrained. So yeah, she, yeah. she does the transcripts from the, from the lower quality audio version. Well, I, I appreciate uh, all the work you do for us, uh, Steve, each, in each and every week. And, um, and we'll be back here uh, as we are every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2000 UTC, for our next edition of Security Now. And uh, I hope everybody will join us then. Thanks, Steve. The, the revocation revelation. Ooh, baby. You should call Thanks, Adam yeah. ahead of time and let him know. <laughs> We're already talking. Yeah, I can't wait. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Bye. Security.